You are watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by me, Scott Weiser. I've worked as either a director or animator on more than 30 short and feature-length projects, including projects for DreamWorks, Fox, and Independent Studios. And my favorite projects are these books, which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched as a feature film at several different studios. Today we have with us Brandon Oldenburg, who is a great guy and a great friend. And, Howdy. Uh, Hey, Brandon. <laughs> so <laughs> everybody who's wondering, why did we start late? It's because we actually thought we had started and we hadn't started. So <laughs> we, we actually heard it about- It was a good drive. Oh, it's great. And we heard about Brandon's history. Uh, he was very influential, more influential than I realized in the founding of Real Effects, which is an independent studio in Texas that is still going strong. He co-founded Moonbot Studios, where they directed the Oscar-winning Fantastic Flying books of Mr. Morris Lesmore. And they also created several other commercials and books and they're just storytelling however you could tell it. And now he has co-founded Flight School Studio where they are creating similar content, including virtual reality, which is really exciting. And uh, yeah, Brandon, so <laughs> our question Hello. that we were discussing yeah. was the founding of those different studios and how they were similar and different. Now, Brandon just told me about, you know, how they really, they kind of created their own feature film production by doing it in stages with Hasbro by creating a, was it a, it was like a trailer for the film and then a, a longer yeah. production and yeah. then, yeah. Right, when, when we were first starting real effects um, and we were starting to grow, we really were trying to break through the ceiling of just doing commercials. And we helped an ad agency here in town win an account for Hasbro which became a very long-lasting relationship and, and, and hundreds of spots that we did. But some of the first spots we did were for G.I. Joe, which was a toy I loved as a kid. And <laughs> even like the first the first home movies I made with Super 8, with a Super 8 camera were G.I. Joe movies with my buddies um, in grade school. That's I was awesome. like third grade. Yeah. And so to think that maybe we could get like a, get a little tiny taste of that with production was exciting, and, and we saw every job that we did is is maybe for starting early like startups for animation studios can think of commercials as a sort of a a burden or a thing that you just got to get out of the way so you can focus yeah. on your original IP. But it's really important to realize that each everything you do is a stepping stone. Yeah. And, oh, and absolutely. If you, it's your creative challenge to find what it is in that opportunity to be the thing that allows the next thing to happen for you that gets you one step closer to your larger goal. Yeah, so, I love how you say that. Sorry? I, I love how you say that because oh, okay. that, that's how I have to approach each, each project to do for freelance clients. I have to approach it as how am I going to push everything yeah, I'm doing this, to the next level. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And this thing can help me achieve a greater wish and desire, which is for us at the time we were starting to grow the company was to try to figure out how we could work ourselves towards a, truly being an animation studio, making and telling stories with CGI animation. Yeah. We, huh. And this, with this, to kind of give context to the time frame of this, this was in 95 when, you know, Toy Story hadn't come out just yet. But we had heard that there was this thing that that this company that had been doing these Listerine ads that we loved was going to do a movie about toys, and so we were like talking, well, like we should try to figure out how to do that here in Texas. Yeah. And so these 
few years later, some Hasbro uh, opportunities presented themselves. One in particular was a G.I. Joe commercial, yeah. where instead of doing a commercial for the toys, we did it for the website, which allowed us to go around a loophole in, in animation and toy commercials, which were you could only show a few seconds and then the rest had to be hands holding the toys. Yeah, yeah. So it could, <laughs> which is a crazy restraint. <laughs> yeah. It could yeah. be 100% fantasy if we were just getting people to the website. Yeah, just that, a video for the website, right? This yeah. was before the big dot-com bubble burst, and it was like a G.I.Joe.com website where you could go and, and you could check out the new toys and order them. And so we made this spot that looked like an animated feature. And so the way we approached the production on this was that we took all of our favorite clips from action movie trailers and then made a fictitious movie trailer with live action, and then we used that as our storyboard. And then we replaced, you know, Harrison Ford with Duke, and we replaced, you know, whomever bad guy with uh, Destro or Cobra Commander, and it, and it turned into the, what felt like a legit movie trailer yeah. when we were with it. And then when we released this online, people were calling Hasbro left and right, like the phone was ringing off the hook the first day because people actually thought there was a CGI GI Joe movie, but. Through all of that interest, it allowed us this opportunity to actually create a direct-to-video, actually two direct-to-videos with um, Hasbro. Yeah. Again, each one of these was making the window opening wider. Just a little bit bigger, yeah. Holes. Yeah. Another thing about your story that I, I don't want to lose <laughs> that you told earlier <laughs> is that uh, it's a really cool parallel I found where you, you had this idea of, I want to do music videos, illustrated music videos. And then right. when you found out about the company Real Effects and what your friends were doing there, you you thought, well, we should be doing things like that bouncing lamp on PBS. I thought yeah, that was exactly. really cool. My, right. my journey is actually pretty similar. That where, was my knowledge right? Was the bouncing uh -huh. lamp and Tron. And, yeah. and that was very appealing, but it was also, it wasn't approachable. I didn't major in CGI animation, but right. it was, nonetheless, it's like, I love having, I like building teams. I liked the TV show as a kid called A-Team, and I like having this sort of heist mentality that yeah. you have a specialty and you have a specialty and you do too, and together we're gonna we're gonna like rob a bank. Yeah. And so that that sort of approach, that sort of maverick approach, is is uh, is an adrenaline rush, and right. that's what's been exciting about starting all these different studios was like having a very clear objective that that giant jewel that's protected by lasers, which was. <laughs> animated feature right um and same here <laughs> yeah. yeah the animated feature for real effects for all those years was that was that jewel protected by the lasers right. and we, we figured out our way to with this rogue team that slowly grew and grew to get to that goal and yeah. uh, it was super rewarding uh, to know that we were going to achieve that goal and had achieved that goal um, many years later, one, gosh, around 2004. With we were, Book of Life, right? Well, Book of Life was the big breakthrough, right, yeah. for Real Effects. I, I was still at Real Effects and was contemplating a transition when we brought Jorge in to pitch Book of Life. Right. And that seemed like a really great thing for the company to do. But there was already a separate film that was in the production pipeline or moving into the production pipeline um, at the time was called... Um, uh, time turkeys, which became oh, yes. Freebirds. Yeah, Freebirds. Yeah, so that exactly. came before it, and there was other animated content that came before that. There was a directive video that we had done several, actually, that had been done for other people. We had built a pipeline that was really good at 
telling other people's stories. But the yeah. biggest challenge was telling our own. Right. And, 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 and garnering the confidence in studios to trust us to tell our own story. And so that, that became a thing where I felt like, okay, we are finally achieving our goals. Mm -hmm. However, I did not see myself in the role of directing. The problem that I personally was running into was having a studio having confidence in me to direct. Right. And you could bring somebody from the outside who had done something that had, a, had clout. And that was what, what Real Effects was needing at that time. And unfortunately, there wasn't enough confidence on a studio side yeah. for me to direct. So I had to prove myself. I, I kind of had to leave the nest for a while, if you will. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, and there, was a, there, was a, there was a film we were developing internally at Real Effects for many years. Like even in the early infant stages of the company, um, we had done this little short that had never been released in festivals called The Man in the Moon. Oh, with Bill Joyce. Yeah, and this okay. Man in the Moon short um, was starting to kind of fall into certain people's hands, and they were really thinking, oh, this is really cool. There's uh, there's something here. And eventually we, we got to the point where we flew in Harvey Weinstein <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jeffrey Katzenberg oh. and Walden Media and then for, for a moment there, all three of those companies were vouching for um, having some ownership in that IP, which eventually was sold to DreamWorks. And became Rise of the Guardians, right? Rise of the Guardians, yeah. exactly. Okay. And that was, that was really good for the company financially, but for me personally, it was heartbreaking. Like, I really? was crying. Wow. Was, yeah, it was, that was <laughs> going to be our toy story. That was going to be Real Effects' toy story. Right, yeah. And yeah, that was going to be our first original film that we were going to release. And it was like, it was, here's another example. It was like being a, a pregnant teenager and then being told, you are not mature enough to raise that child. We'll take it from here. <laughs> and yeah. it's it kind of how, I, how, how, for me, it felt. I yeah. had a post-depression on that handoff. Yeah. But um, there was this other opportunity that presented itself in Louisiana. And originally, I brought um, some of my real effects buddies over to Treeport to consider it a satellite studio. It just wasn't financially the right step at the time. So after 15 or so years at real effects, I was like, okay, I, I kind of need to leave the nest and fly um, and get out of the shadow of the company for a bit and see if I can prove myself as just straight up original storyteller. Yeah. And so that that was something we did. So and you did it. <laughs> yeah, and then and what's crazy many what's times over. <laughs> so insane was yeah. the first thing right out of the gate, right? Right. To do which was a very clear vision of uh, we 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 when we when we were just four employees at Moonbot, it was a very clear vision of what we wanted to do. We were like Look at look at that wall over there. Let's imagine a shelf and let's imagine an Academy Award on it. Let's visualize that and say that's the goal right now. That's what we want to achieve. And we're going to make a short film. It's going to become a calling card for the company. And as we make this short film, we are building our A-team. We are building uh, the studio that's going to then go on to make other things. Yeah. That was the crazy vision. And it... It, it worked for a while and it and it for nine years we opened this door of opportunity right out of the gate with the the Academy Award and then we had a string of amazing things happen after that yeah. we had app Hall of Fame app with the more or less more app and then um, 
you know, New York Times selling book. And then the whole time, like literally when walking off that stage at the Academy Awards, I had, I was just freaked out. I was actually kind of terrified because yeah. it was sort of like, we're going to have a sophomore slump now. Exactly. <laughs> Is it all downhill from here now? Like, what do we do? But the goal was, even at Moonbot, was to make uh, an animated feature um, yeah. and to achieve that goal. And I could tell and, that from the um, outside. <laughs> yeah, that was the wish. Was that was we were going to build towards that goal? Yeah. The thing is that happens when you get all this recognition with like in a short like flying books is that phone rings off the hook and there people are throwing opportunity at you left and right. Right. And if you if you aren't sharp enough to realize that time flies by and it can be a year later and you still haven't chosen your path. And for us, a lot of time flew by. And my advice is when you get um, a little bit of viral buzz of any kind, it's very important to make a decision quickly on what you do next and to announce that and talk about that. Yeah. Build off of that momentum. Because if you wait a year, you lose momentum. And if you wait over you know, 18 months, then you've become uh, history and, and people have forgotten, especially for a small little group of people that yeah. are in a very small town off the grid, you know, off of the Hollywood grid. Boy, but I didn't forget you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I love, so Sorry, I, I'm my, not there. Just yeah, yeah, it's Sorry. okay. It's okay. My dream was to, to go to Pixar <laughs> or Disney and then I was going to become a dream a director in 10 years. That was my dream. It was a very ignorant dream, right? <laughs> but you got to have a dream. It's it's what drove me to well, break into the industry. Ignorant. Yeah, yeah. So I break into the industry. I'm working on at Rhythm and Hughes on Avon and the Chipmunks Three, and Fantastic Flying Books. The just the trailer came out. And I remember seeing that trailer, and I thought, I know that I was thinking Pixar, but that's where I want to work. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, but I had this like I do campaign to work at Moonbot. <laughs> I remember. And, and actually, I, I took a job up in Vancouver, and I knew that when I got up there, I would get the Moonbot offer, and I did. <laughs> so I, I, I ended up sending Dave Wilson, who I'm sure you're well acquainted yeah, with. Yeah, the, the timing is always rough, right? Yeah, yeah. When... But the thing was that I think that was good about that Moonbot thing is it started me – I was working at this university where it was like the student job that I, I took because I had been unemployed for a while, and, and the industry was really struggling. And they allowed me to create all these little short films and, and just kind of do what I wanted, as long as it benefited the store in some way. And uh, yeah, so I, I would always say I was creating my own Moonbox. Yeah. So yeah, you were. Yeah. And it was it was Which, a wonderful it was a great example to the point where you know Moonbot you know shuttered nine years in on it. Um, so then you don't want to use that as an example. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and and, and yeah. the, the thing that we learned at Real Effects that has proven to be the the testament is you can never diminish the value of work for hire. No. Work for hire keeps yeah. doors open. Yeah. Work for hire puts fuel in the tank. And it was something Disney did and never stopped doing. Um, and it was really important to keep fuel in the tank. He, like Walt said, I, I make movies so I can film the next movie. It's, uh, he doesn't make movies to make money. Yeah. And so yeah. when, when you're doing projects and you're working towards a goal, you can never forget who got you there. And how, right. how it got you there. And for a while, with the growth of real effects, we thought, oh, we'll do VFX. We'll do visual effects for yeah. movies, which we quickly learned is not a viable business. Right. For example, Rhythm and Hughes is one I'll use. Is, is they, of all the companies oh, yeah, who bankrupt. 
accounts and all of that still couldn't keep it together. Yeah. Because because it's such an abusive business as we saw with Life of Pi. And they actually um, kept it together for several years, so it looked like it was possible. And when I got a job there, it was like, oh, I'm going to stay on here and I'm going to work on you know all these little things and. And I was one of the first rounds of layoffs that, that started till about a year later after our layoff is when they went bankrupt and won the Oscar for Life of Pi. So it was like, wait, there's something going yeah. on here that's wrong. It's, it's not yeah, working. Yeah, something's not right. And yeah. I, don't, I certainly don't have the answer for it. But I, I, no. all I can say, though, is it has a lot to do with um, remembering where you come from and remembering what um, fuels the tank. Yeah. And there's, a, you have, there's art and commerce to everything. You have to respect both sides. Right. And we recently, we have these weekly meetings at Flight School mm -hmm. uh, where we, we call recon. And we go over everything that's on the docket for what's in production, what who, uh, you know, potential job opportunities, what state they're in, mm -hmm. what we're doing um, for original content. But original content, for some reason, was at the very bottom of the list on this living document. Yeah. And recently we put it up because it is the priority of the studio right. uh, to tell original stories because that is what hopefully one day one of those original stories will become that Winnie the Pooh, which becomes an evergreen property that lives on in the universe and right. it keeps going and going and going. And hopefully eventually it fuels the dreams of what we have within the studio to yeah. continue to tell stories. Well, this sounds so familiar too, because I mean, I'm only balancing freelance of one person, right? But it's, it's interesting to see how even on the inside of me, I feel like I, I have to finish all this client work and I have to make all this money, but I know that I need to be creating that original content. And it, sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get yeah. me to force myself to do that stuff. But, it really uh, is disciplined and it's, it is very difficult and can sometimes seem completely impossible, but the yeah. shooter has no shoes is a thing we can all fall into very easily. Mm -hmm. and. You've got to somehow cobble cobble another you know shoe together each day um, if you can. Continue to find time each week to think about the original content that you're developing. Yeah. Move it forward, even if it's an incremental tiny little inch. You've got to keep moving it forward. Yeah, and that incremental tiny inch is really, I think, the key to it. Because at some point, a project will gain momentum, and then it'll start to snowball. And it's like, I've got to finish this thing, and I, right. I will lay aside the time for it. Where you didn't think through enough, yeah. and you didn't plan enough, because yeah, you never know when that window will present itself, and then yeah, you better have had your ducks in a row, or you're you're yeah. going to some time. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, great yeah. point. So you did mention before we went live that Real Effects, you're still connected to them. Actually, they're, oh, yeah. they're your sister company. And you have... They never left, or I never. Uh, and some. I'm just saying, I don't think we'll ever not be connected. And so, oh, yeah. Real Effects grew um, and has continued to grow and evolve and change and shift shapes a bit. And one thing that we discovered and we realized when um, we started Flight School a few years ago was that it wasn't just Flight School, but it was um, the company as a whole was in this identity crisis, in the sense that Real Effects does a lot. And yeah, you do. when you take a step back and you look at it from the outside, you're like, you're kind of like Walmart. You do, you have, you do everything and it's all okay. And that's, that's bad. Yeah. We, yeah. we realized that we actually did everything really good, but people are seeing it in this diluted form. So we need to sell split. 
So Real Effects is really four companies. There's one, what we call Real Effects, is the animation for feature and series. That's Real Effects. Okay. Now, when it comes to commercials, which you know, which we all cut our teeth on, and what the company's founded on doing, is now called Attack Plan. Okay. And Attack Plan is strictly doing the you know work for hire commercial work, yeah. but they're doing it with a heavy design sensibility, and it's important mm-hmm. to compete in that space that you have people with uh, a vision and voice and direction, and also a high end on design sensibility, yeah. and so that's going on at Attack Plan. Okay. And so that's its own little group, and they're focused, and they're making amazing content just for that. And there isn't a conflict of interest. And what happened early on when we were doing Hasbro spots as a whole on you know real effects company was that our clients started to go, you guys really just want to do animated features. We're just an annoying. <laughs> And you, you, you used us to get to that. And it's like, well, no, no, we never want you to feel that way. I'm sorry, you feel that way. And yeah. just, it was a lot of, it was, it was, it was, it was how we were being perceived. Just because that's, it was, we were just wearing our vision and dreams on our sleeves. And so it was really important to kind of create the separate division. So Attack Plan was born just recently, a few years ago, when we were starting Flight School, mm-hmm. which Flight School really is a, a merger of sorts between the creative leadership of Moonbot and what was the beginning of a VR division that had been growing strong for a few mm-hmm. years yeah. at RealFX, which was called oh. RealFX VR. Okay. So the, the combination of all the really talented developers and crew that were a part of RealFX VR and the creative leadership of Moonbot came together Voltron into what's flight school and it, Voltron is an example we're now using for the whole company we we're we we are stronger together we use the greater than symbol internally now for branding is we're we're better together yeah uh, greater together and so each one of the components of the company are a different arm or leg of the Voltron and there's a fourth company I did I failed to mention which is called yeah, the Lodge 26 handles branding and so Lodge 26 is, you could say, the smallest of all the two, all of all the companies, but it's um, definitely what they do has a really big impact. Lodge 26 has done some amazing work in the retail space and branding space and vision for companies and, and their look and vibe and their tone. Um, they helped us with our branding at Flight School. They've helped attack plan. Which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, it is really great to yeah, have that skill set in-house. Yeah. And um, they've, they've helped brands and even invented brands, um, one of which is called Shinola, which is a Detroit-based brand that makes leather goods, um, even like unique bespoke items like uh, really awesome headphones, cool turntables, watches is the big component of Shinola. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's a really cool brand that was invented by them. So that's just an example of it's great to have a skill set like that under the umbrella as yeah. well. That makes sense. Wow. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. so you have also remote work in a way because you have a sister, another studio up in uh, Montreal, well, right? There's four. Op- there's three offices. There's the Hollywood yeah. office, which houses roughly about when it needs to, up to like 25 people. Yeah. It depends on when things are in production. It's a and great. And I have been to that one actually. <laughs> no, you have. Great. Yes. So. We recently moved from the Santa Monica office to the Hollywood location, which is literally um, across the street from what we call the Commissary Cube building, which is where all the animation's going on for Netflix. Okay. So it's really conveniently located for the future work we're going to do. In Montreal, which has grown just over the last 
two years of, you know, over the growth of flight school, we've watched the whole Montreal office grow. And that's been in a crazy uh, speed, of, but uh, for the most part, it's majority uh, real effects and the production um, that's going on for feature. Okay. Now, Dallas is still the hub. And so the, the core leadership that what became of real effects animation is still in Dallas. And like we were talking earlier, video conferencing is, is just as important as a pencil now in the it's office. It's vital, yeah. Makes sense. It's happening in every room right now all because of the ports of communication between the two offices and the, the tools they have in production. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here you are. Yeah, you broke up there, and I think we we picked up nearly everything. I think the oh, last I'm thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I think I think we caught it. I was listening mm. very closely <laughs> to make sure we caught mm. everything there. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. That happens when there's well, lots I'll of video conference going on in every room. So. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the 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 problem here is that yeah. yeah, there's so many. But yeah, there's two movies in production at Real Effects right now. One is the Scooby movie, okay, and the other is. Uh, called Rumble now. It was once uh, called Monster on the Hill, which is based on a book by Rob Harrell that was okay. a, uh, optioned by Real Effects as an original story that was developed here okay. before the Paramount partnership happened. Great. So yeah, it's real important to know that the next like full-on original baked out of the studio feature after Book of Life is Rumble. Okay. Uh, however, there's been a lot of movies that have come through the pipe since yeah, that we there are and helped, real effects has helped over the years. Wow, crazy. So let's talk a bit about the, the future of the industry. What do you think like we can do to improve the future of the animation industry? Because it's now branched into several branches. You have virtual reality, you have games, you have feature films, yeah. you have episodic content, you have all kinds of content out there. What can we do as, as directors and uh, animators and whoever else is watching this, this program? to improve the, the industry for all of us? Well, it's certainly one thing that we're witnessing and we've, we've gone through now is we, we, we just moved out of our Deep Ellum office, which is just a mile. I'm looking directly over at it from this building. <laughs> it's a mile over from where we are now. And that was a really big building. It was, it was, it was like a campus. Right. And, it, and even though in its modesty and its scale compared to bigger studios like Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks, we didn't have fountains, we didn't have our own cafeteria and chefs and free ice cream, but we, we did have a pretty bougie space that accommodated a lot of people. But what we all have to do now is realize we don't need all of that. We right. don't need all of that. But we, we do need... We, we do need to take care of our people right. and we do need to make it, be able to create an atmosphere of creativity and encourage that amongst all of our people. Yeah. But at the same time, we, we, we don't need to be that big. No. And, and, and it certainly, I look at some of my favorite studios out there right now, um, like Cuckoo and Tonka house oh, and yeah. they're, Tonka. they're proving Tonka. it that they, they're showing that you can have handmade handcrafted storytelling and have it happen. Um, in a very modest environment that doesn't feel like you're just in a hole in the wall in a strip shopping center. They're caring a great deal about culture, and they're caring a great deal about the, 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 the livelihood of their people. Right. But at the same time, they're not having to accommodate them with this sort of uh, DreamWorks bougie atmosphere. <laughs> Which is, um, it is fun when you visit. <laughs> but Sure. You know, awesome. Yeah, it also great. drives the cost you know, through the roof. And well, then... that, that, 
That's exactly it. Layoffs, that's why you have animators really struggling to find work, and you know, right? We're, we're turning around movies over here for half of what they charge, or even less. Yeah. And when you go visit, you go, oh, that explains it. That's yeah. why that movie cost 190 million to produce. Right. I understand because you had to, you know, feed the fish, the koi and fish, have the and you had to, and... <laughs> yeah, you had to keep all the fountains pumping. I understand now. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Tonko House, that's cool that you bring them up. They're in a couple of interviews, so it'll be exciting to talk to them about that. And and it, it's yes. very inspirational to me about how they – I went to their uh, their presentation at CTNX, and they talked about how they actually started doing a bunch of commercial work, and they actually decided, no, we've got to shift back to original work. And so they not only did one original piece, they started no. cranking out yeah. several, three original pieces and and I, yeah. I'll be fascinated to talk about that and, and figure out how they yes. did that <laughs> yeah it well it, it requires a great deal of risk and if there's any proof in that there was a great deal of risk when we were starting Mumbai if you yeah. bet on yourself which you know um, my friend David Needham who was our uh, the one of the main founders of real effects at originally and was the one who was handling the money all the time and the one who was like our you know the one stressing over like keeping the doors open and the lights on in the early days of real effects he he gave me some advice when i was considering uh, starting Moonbot, which was you know do what you feel in your heart is best obviously but betting on yourself is the best bet you can make yeah and if you you feel inclined to do something always bet on yourself in that endeavor betting on yourself and, is the best bet to make i like that a lot yeah, yeah. It, it really is. So uh, when, when, when we're all presented with these choices in life that are really going to be life-altering, go with the one that has risk, that feels <laughs> right. Um, it can always be worse. It, things can always get much worse. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, they are worse in different parts of the world. So it's like, yeah. you know, I, I think we yeah. should just take advantage of all that we have here. We, we have so much that we can leverage. Hey. There's, there's, there, there's some animators right now that we're working with on a VR for Good project. Mm -hmm. I want to say they're based in the Philippines. And it's just a couple of guys. And the quality of what they're turning out is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine the, you know, for them that their, their cost to keep the lights on is much lower than ours. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity for that studio. And I think also my brother, who um, works in animation, has a group of animators he's trying to help in Zimbabwe. And it's happening all over. There's going to be, I think, my prediction is, you know, you're going to start to see if there's there's talented people all over this planet and all these little, small little towns everywhere that just don't have the notoriety. You you see this like with singing contest shows, right? Like the the singing contest shows find people in all these little small towns, and they're incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's to be said for animation as well. Oh, there, yeah. and early on when we were starting the real effects, there was um, and one of our first best animators we ever hired was a guy who was doing embroidery in East Texas, and he had accessed um, the software we were using at the time called Animation Master, and had done some really cool stuff with it, all on his own accord, all with his own, you know, uh, energy off the clock from his day job, and. He is now living on the West Coast. He worked on several Star Wars movies. He now does pre-visualization for a lot of, you know, blockbuster features. 
But for a while, we, we were able to have him on the team here, which was his window of opportunity to his greater goals. Yeah. And, and that's just a testament. John, was a, John Griffith is his name. And, and that was, that's just an example of, you know, there's talent everywhere, even outside of North America, that is going to create the next little, the greatest next little animation studio. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why I've been so excited about the idea of remote and virtual studios. Yeah, and uh, that's that's what I've been working on as my passion project. So uh, we'll see we'll see how that comes. But I, I have thought about that. You've done that successfully, right? I mean, you've been able to lean in on talent when yeah. you need it. Like, when, yeah, I have here and there, but I obviously want to do it on a bigger scale, where it's like sure. I can have somebody in Puerto Rico work on my film, and you know, Zimbabwe work on my film, and that sort of thing. And yes, uh, yeah, it would be it would be amazing. So I, yeah. I love I love how you talk about that and. And how you're so open to that. It seems like a lot of people in the industry, especially when you've worked so hard to build a studio, right? Yeah. You would maybe feel threatened a yes. little bit by all the talent out there. Right. There's Where a, they a, could do it cheaper really, and faster. And <laughs> there's, a, once, there's one guy I want to plug who's really talented. His name's Fernando PQ. Okay. And um, we really wanted to bring him on board up here in America, but we, it, it's expensive to hire people from outside of another country. Yeah. And, it's a risk to spend all the money to try to get them the green card, um, H-1 visas and all of that. It's a risk and it's an investment. Mm -hmm. But by working virtually with, with um, people and allowing them to be wherever they are to help your team, it's great, but it's never as great as having them in the same room. But no, he's yeah. gone on to do great things. He's, he just released um, a music video short film that's incredible. Uh, I don't know the name of it offhand, but... It, Fernando PQ is his name, and yeah. uh, and it's P amazing. the letter P and the letter Q. Yeah, P yeah. P E Q U E. E Q U E. Okay, we'll, anyway. we'll look him up. <laughs> Please do. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay, we are nearing the end of the the program, so we're going to have the get wiser moment that someday I'll probably have a little jingle for. For now, <laughs> it's just it's just us. Cue jingle. Okay. <laughs> Cue the jingle. Da 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 da. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, the You're Getwiser... singer. You could just you could do it uh, a cappella right now. But I didn't practice. <laughs> it's it's funny because people are like, "You're so good at singing. Why don't you just bust something out?" And it's like, but I'm nervous. I didn't practice. All right, all right. <laughs> next time. But next time it'll it'll we'll have a jingle. So <laughs> yeah. So what what moral obligation do you think as a filmmaker and storyteller do we have to the world culture, if any? We don't have to have one. You could, you could, that could be your answer as well. But, well, I think as storytellers, and the one thing that I've learned a lot is, is that you know, for example, science fiction. The best science fiction is the one that shows us the the world that we could be living in, good or bad. Right. Yeah. And and as storytellers, on any story that's told, um, I think it's important that you think about what it is you're truly saying, and more importantly, what it is you're you're asking of your audience to do, because you're not. Sometimes filmmakers are just making a story and telling it to themselves, and there may be a place for that, but I'm not interested in that. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not telling a story for myself. Um, I think we all need to have a voice and, a, and, and share our perspective. And uh, whether it's a good story, a bad story, it's our perspective, and it should be truthful to us, and it should, should also hopefully have a call to action, in my opinion. I want people to leave their seats after experiencing the story in whatever medium and, and feel like there's something they should do or talk about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the, the, one of the best films I've ever seen is uh, Sunset Boulevard. And I remember seeing that for the first time and sitting down with my wife after and say, saying, I need to change my life here. <laughs> and it was funny because, I, you know, I've studied theme and studied story structure and stuff. And it took me a while to break down that story structure and really understand it. But I still got it on a gut level. I knew that I had to change. So, change your life in what way? Did, did you feel inclined to become a butler that took care of uh, chimpanzees and an old lady silent movie star? Or, or did it make you want to write screenplays? And I mean, what, what, what was your call to action after well, that? If I were to phrase the theme, the core of that story, yes. it is any obsession, if you let it become too much of an obsession, or any fast, any like preoccupation, if you yes. let it become an obsession, it can destroy you. So the main character, yeah. he begins the, the story, you know, face down in a pool, and you know that he's, oh, sorry to spoil this for you. That's how it begins. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, by the yeah. end, you understand why. Why did he end up in that pool? And every character in that story actually inhibits that theme in some way. It's a powerful theme. It is. But for me, it was like, I kind of prioritized my career too much in a way. Uh, to a point that I think it was becoming unhealthy. It's an and, important lesson. And that's where I changed. Yeah, that's a yeah. really good lesson. Yeah, I yeah. It. And I loved how you said, always be truthful, because a lot of films, when I start to break them down, I start to see where there's not truth. Yeah. There's there's a lot of little lies being told, even though most most people aren't going to look at that and say, that's a blatant lie. But, yeah. you know, if you're if you're going to establish a theme, you need to be discovering the truth and not just presenting... I think your ideology or your politics or your whatever, you know, for me, when I'm writing a story, it's about discovering the truth through yeah. the process of writing. Right. Rather than trying to, to force my own current ideas on somebody. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I, yeah, to add to that, it's like, I just I can't help but think about the last movie I saw was, which was Ad Astra. And I walked out yeah. of it disappointed because I didn't care about the characters. And I felt like sometimes where the truth lies in that one is maybe the filmmaker who was telling the story maybe had a had some issues he was he or she was working through <laughs> related to personal relationships because it was void of that and maybe there's a point to that and I'm missing it but I didn't care about the characters because I didn't get a sense of of the relationship with the father the main character had I didn't get a sense of what he was leaving behind on the planet Earth and his care for his his um, family. Yeah. Oh, and it was, and it seemed like the story was all about family, but it wasn't. It just it lacked the the core key element of substance and family. And so, therefore, back to the storyteller, I wonder if that storyteller was struggling with the truth of that. And, yeah, that and is an interesting. That it wasn't truthful to them because maybe they didn't have family or they didn't wow. they, they lacked the true emotional experience that's required to tell that story. Yeah, that is a very interesting hypothesis i really like it actually one of the uh now the, i don't know if i'll plug the book but there is a screenwriting book out there <laughs> that I, I don't know if i'll recommend it just because it became too convoluted for me but i liked at the end how he talked about how when you're writing a story you need to become a better person for writing the story like you're on your own hero's journey with every story you write i like that and yeah. if you discover along with that character and really discover the full truth of whatever your topic is then then you'll have a stronger story and hopefully a better life and yeah, yeah I, uh, we, we have a, a writer friend artist talented storyteller that we work with often his name's jake wyatt and oh, yeah. uh, like he said a few years ago when when we're coming up with ideas for stories 
we, we shouldn't call them even ideas just yet. Let's, uh, he says, call them just notions. <laughs> you want to follow your notion. And I feel like when you're writing a story, you, you shouldn't call it a story just yet. It's yeah. not a story just yet. You're, you're figuring it out. It's just a notion and you're following it. Yeah. You're following that notion. And like you're saying is you're hopefully finding the truth and, and gaining some sort of um, reward for having gone on that journey. Um, yeah. Some sort of meant to why you told it, why you felt inclined or you felt like you had that notion to go down that path to tell that story. As a storyteller, I think we, we, we all can have these notions. Like, I'm just feeling inclined and, uh, to just sort of tell a story about this or that or this. And there's a comedian I like, Dimitri Martin, and he yeah. talks about his process. And it's like, uh, for him, it's like he may see something that isn't funny to him, but it's something about it is compelling. And maybe there is a joke in that. And he'll put yeah. it in a drawer or write it down or draw a picture of it and hold on to it. And it won't come to him for another decade, but it will come to him. And I think we're all gathering ingredients for storytelling every day. Yeah, I and think so. so. Paul, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're, you're, you know your notion is a good notion. <laughs> this is a theory of mine. Well, you, can, you can rebuttal it if you want to. But <laughs> you know you're on to a good notion when it starts to get scary. Because yeah. this, this current project I'm working oh, on, I thought, would anybody ever publish this thing at one point? Because I was like, this is yeah. getting in dicey territory here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, You're luckily it's not. It gets yeah, yeah. So you agree with that? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm terrified right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I can see you shaking. <laughs> we, have, we have a few things we're cooking right now, and I'm, I'm terrified. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. And that's, that's wonderful. That's a good It's a good. It's a good thing, and it's like a roller coaster. You just need to embrace it and just put your hands up and go over the edge. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I think that's the future of filmmaking, is filmmakers who are willing to do that. So I think that's a great note yeah. to end on. And uh, yeah. where would you like people to find you? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, BrandonBot, or on Instagram, Flight School Brandon. Or, of course, go to, um, you know, uh, like us on Facebook, Flight School Studios, and keep track of flight school on on all those social media channels like instagram and twitter okay. um the latest thing that we just completed which i'm super proud of adam and Bo for their vision on this uh, game that we've released that's on uh xbox and twitch and steam which is called creature in the well which um, an, amazing, an amazing game yeah. that uh continues to get lots of great press so we're very proud of that it's a beautiful and fun game and we're going to continue to make more. So we recently made a partnership with Madison Wells Media, and we've got two games that we're conceptualizing right now, and we're going to move into the production pipeline soon. And outside of games, of course, uh, we, like you were mentioning earlier, VR is one of the mediums we work in, and there's a VR experience that's still ongoing that you can do if you're in Austin called War Remains that we made in partnership with um, for specifically uh, Madison Wells Media. So please check out warremains.com so you learn more about that project. It's an experiential memory, and you walk in the footsteps of a, a soldier during World War I, and you it's very haptic. Uh, Skywalker Sound did all the sound design for it. It's really cool, but it's 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 also so frustrating because it's such a site-specific thing, and very few people can get to do it right now. Yeah, but yeah. I. I at some point in the future, we're going to make a port for home, which certainly won't have all of the stuff you can touch, but it's still nonetheless going to be a compelling thing for people to do. So those are my plugs right now. Great. Awesome. 
Well, and you can uh, you can find me at scottweiser.com slash follow and on Instagram. And I'll put all the links that Bren is talking okay. about into the show notes. So you will be able to find them very easily. You don't have to remember them. Just go down into the show notes. There they are. So awesome. we'll uh, we'll close now. And thank you so much, Brandon, for, for joining us. And yeah. until next time. You've been watching the Directing Animation Livecast hosted by Scott Weiser and produced by Lauren Shaken. Copyright Scott Weiser, LLC, 2918. 2019.